another sutta we come to is 3.7.63. On a certain occasion, the exalted one was journeying about among the Gosalans, attended by a great company of monks, and he came to Venagapura, a Brahmin village of the Gosalans. Now the Brahmin house fathers of Venagapura heard the news that Gotama the recluse, son of the Sakyans, who went forth as a wanderer from the Sakyan clan, had come to Venagapura, and there a, a fair report was spread about Gotama, uh, the recluse, eh, that the exalted one uh, is thus. It is he that Arahan, who is a fully enlightened one, perfect in knowledge and practice, welfarer, world knower, unsurpassed charioteer of men to be tamed, teacher of devas and mankind, a Buddha, an exalted one. He makes known this world together with the world of devas, maras and brahmas, together with the hosts of recluses and brahmins, both of devas and mankind, having himself come to know it thoroughly for himself. He teaches Dhamma that is lovely in the beginning, lovely in the middle, lovely in the end, both in letter and spirit. In all its fullness, he preaches the holy life that is utterly pure. Well indeed for us, if we could get the sight of Arahants such as these. Then the Brahmin house fathers of Venagapura came to see the Exalted One. On coming to, see, to him, some saluted the Exalted One and sat down at one side. Some greeted the Exalted One, and after the exchange of greetings and courtesies, sat down at one side. Some raised their joint palms to their foreheads in respect to the Exalted One, and sat down at one side. Some proclaimed their name and clan, and did the same, while others, without saying anything, just sat down at one side. Uh, just stop for a while to comment. You see, these uh, people, when they come to see the Buddha, they behave in different ways. Some uh, some show a lot of respect for the Buddha and then they sit down to one side. Some show not so much respect and sit down to one side. Some just say their name and clan and just sit down to one side. But you notice here that all of them sit down to one side and when they want to speak to the Buddha, this is a kind of Indian tradition. And uh, which reminds me that uh, I heard sometimes in the West, uh, some of our Asians, they go and see a monk, like uh, in Perth. The Thais uh, would go and sit uh, lower than the monks. And uh, it seems that the Sri Lankans, when they talk to a monk, uh, out of respect, uh, they will stand, not sit down, you know, they stand. And of course, uh, to the Thais, uh, it's uh, quite different. So just now, we said that uh, the Sri Lankans stand out of respect uh, when they talk to a monk. Why do they stand? Because uh, if you look into the suttas, uh, you find when the devas come to see the Buddha, the devas, uh, out of respect, uh, they stand, all the devas stand up when they talk to the Buddha. So different, uh, different people have different ways of uh, showing respect. Uh. Now, to continue, uh, then as he thus said, Vachagota, the Brahmin of Enagapura, said this to the Exalted One. It is wonderful, Master Gotama. It is marvelous, Master Gotama. How serene is the worthy Gotama's air. How clear and translucent his complexion. 
Just as the yellow jujube fruit in autumn is clear and translucent, even so is the worthy Gautama's complexion. Even as a palm tree fruit just loosed from the stalk is clear and translucent, even so is the worthy Gautama's complexion. Just as a trinket of red, of red gold brought in a crucible by a clever goldsmith, deftly beaten and laid on a yellow cloth, shines and blazes and glitters, even so the worthy Gautama's senses are calmed, his complexion is clear and translucent. Now, Master Gautama, as to those couches, both high and broad, such as the sofa, the divan or divan, together with their coverlets of goat's hair of diverse colours, white coverlets, coverlets of wool, decorated with flowers, quilts of cotton wool, embroidered counterpanes, and rugs furred on both sides, rugs furred on one side, coverlets gem-studded and of silk, dancers' carpets, rugs for elephants, horse and chariot, rugs of antelope skins, floor spreads of the hide of the Kadali deer, couches with awnings and a red bolster at each end, all such seats, both high and low, doubtless the worthy Gotama can get as he pleases, can get them without toil and trouble. And the Buddha said, Brahmin, as to all these things, indeed we wondrous get them hardly, that means hardly get them. And if gotten, they are not to be made use of. I'll just stop here to say eh, that here you find eh, the Buddha is saying eh, that wondrous, the word is paribajaka, wondrous, eh, renunciants. Eh. Hardly get these uh, luxurious things, la. couches and uh, rocks and animal skins and all that. La. And the Buddha is saying that even if they get them, they are not to be made use of. In other words, the Buddha does not allow his monks la, to use luxurious items. La. Some of these items during those times, the Buddha's times, la, were considered uh, very luxurious, la. but... Uh, some of the things uh, nowadays uh, might not be considered luxurious. So it depends on the times also. And then the Buddha said, Now, Brahmin, there are these three couches, both high and broad, which I can get both here and now as I please, without toil and trouble. What are the three? They are the high, broad couch celestial, that which is sublime, and the high, broad couch of the Aryans. These are the three couches I can get here and now as I please, without toil and trouble. And the Brahmin asked, Pray, Master Gotama, of what sort is that high, broad couch celestial which the worthy Gotama gets here and now as he pleases without toil and trouble? And the Buddha said, <clears throat> In this case, Brahmin, when I am living dependent on a certain village or suburb, I get myself robed in the morning, <coughs> and taking bowl and outer robe, I enter that village or suburb to beg. When I return from my arms round and have eaten my meal, I make for the edge of a forest. There I gather together whatever grasses or leaves there are into one place and sit down cross-legged, holding my body straight and setting mindfulness in front of me. Thus aloof from sense desires, aloof from unprofitable states of mind, I enter on the first jhana, which is accompanied by thought directed and sustained, born of seclusion, delightful and pleasurable, and abide therein. I just stop for a while to make some comment. 
you see the Buddha, he and his disciples, eh, they generally go for arms round. And arms round is one of those things eh, in the Buddha's teaching which is very good for a monk. Because in the spiritual path, we are supposed to cut off our ego, eliminate our ego. And when we go on arms round, it is a very good practice for that purpose. Because you have to make us, you have, you feel very humble when you go on arms round. That's why it's not an easy thing to do. So that nowadays, not many monks also do that. The other thing is, you see that the Buddha, when he, uh, he says he makes after his meal, he goes to the edge of the forest. The Buddha and his disciples are generally are not allowed to stay deep into the forest because they are not allowed to live on the fruits or whatever, um, trees and leaves and, 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 uh, and all that in the forest. They are supposed to live dependent on lay people, to allow lay people the chance to make merit. That's why they go to lay people's houses for their food and after that they go to the edge of the forest, not deep into the forest to meditate. And then here you can see the Buddha, what he does eh, is he gathers the grasses and the leaves together, eh, makes them into a sort of a comfortable pile and then he sits on it. Then to continue, eh, then by calming down, thought directed and sustained, I enter on the inward calm, that singleness of mind, apart from thought directed and sustained, born of concentration, delightful and pleasurable, which is the second jhana, and abide therein. Then, by the fading out of delight, I become equanimous, I remain mindful and composed, and experience with the body that happiness of which the Aryans say, the equanimous, mindful man lives happily, and I enter on the third jhana and abide therein. Then, abandoning pleasure and pain alike, by the coming to an end of the joy and sorrow which I had before, I enter and abide in the fourth jhana, free of pain and free of pleasure, a state of perfect purity of mindfulness and equanimity. Now, Brahmin, when I, when I have reached such a state, if I walk up and down, at such time my walking is to me celestial. If I stand, at such time my standing is celestial. If I sit, my sitting is to me celestial. If I lie down, celestial is the high, broad couch I lie on. That, Brahmin, is what I mean when I speak of the high, broad couch, celestial, which I get as I please without toil and trouble. And the Brahmin said, Wonderful, Master Gotama, marvelous, Master Gotama. Who but the worthy Gotama could get a high, broad couch, celestial, such as he pleases, without toil and trouble? I'll just stop here for a moment. Here the Buddha is talking about the four, four jhanas that he attains, one by one. Uh, you find in the suttas, uh, the Buddha is very often talking about jhanas. Jhanas are states of mental concentration, uh, where the mind goes deep into itself uh, and deep bliss arises. So the the fourth jhana is a very high state uh, where the breath is supposed to stop altogether. Uh, and here you can see the Buddha says that when he comes out of the fourth jhana, he is in such bliss uh, that if he walks, uh, he feels like he's walking in heaven. If he's standing, he feels like he's standing in heaven, sit and lying down, etc. So this only shows uh, that when a person comes out of jhana, the hindrances are still uh, very low. 
because uh, when a person attains jhana, the hindrances naturally come to a very low level. Uh, the hindrances are the five, uh, which is the first one is sensual desire, second one is ill will or anger, third one is sloth and torpor, fourth one is restlessness, restlessness and remorse, fifth one is doubt. Uh, so because uh, the hindrances have become so low, uh, in fact, some of the suttas you can find, the Buddha says that when a person attains jhana, uh, the, the hindrances are abandoned. Uh, so, here, uh, it's abandoned, but not uh, for a person attaining jhana, a normal person, unless he's an arahan. The hindrances are abandoned, but not totally rooted out, not totally eliminated. Only in the, in the arahan, the hindrances are totally rooted out. But still, here the Buddha is saying that when he attains the fourth jhana and comes out of it, he's in high bliss. But that bliss after some time can wear off. Now to continue, the Brahmin asked, But Master Gautama, what is that high, broad, couch, sublime? And the Buddha replied, Herein, Brahmin, when I am living dependent on a certain village, etc., etc., as before, and then setting mindfulness in front of me, I abide suffusing one quarter of the world with a heart possessed of goodwill, metta, likewise the second, third, and fourth quarters, and in like manner, above, below, across, everywhere, for all sorts and conditions, the whole world do I abide suffusing with a heart possessed of goodwill, metta, that is widespread, grown great and boundless, free from enmity and untroubled. And I do likewise with a heart possessed of compassion, and similarly with a heart of joy, uh, mudita, possessed of equanimity that is widespread and untroubled. And, and trouble. These are the four uh, Brahma Viharas. And then the Buddha says, Now Brahmin, when I have reached such a condition, if I walk up and down, my walking is to me sublime. My standing, my sitting, my lying down is to me sublime. That is what I mean when I speak of the sublime, high, broad couch, which I can get here and now as I please without toil and trouble. And the Brahmin said, Wonderful, Master Gotama, marvelous, Master Gotama. Who else but the worthy Gotama could get a high, broad couch sublime? I stop here for a moment eh, to say that this uh, cultivation of the four Brahma Viharas, eh, the four uh, uh, Supreme abidings uh, have also to do with jhana uh, because these states uh, uh, are also states of jhana when he can suffuse uh, the world with these four uh, Brahma Viharas, which is Metta, uh, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeka uh, uh, goodwill, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Um, to continue, eh? the Brahmin asked, But pray, Master Gotama, what is that Aryan high broad couch? And the Buddha said, Here in Brahmin, when I am living dependent on some village, etc., etc., then setting mindfulness in front of me, I know thus for certain, passion is abandoned by me. It is cut off at the root, made like a palm tree stump, made such as not to grow again, unable to sprout again in future time. Hatred is abandoned by me. Delusion is abandoned by me made unable to sprout again in future time. That Brahmin is the Aryan couch, broad and high, which I can get. Now Brahmin, when I, have re when I have reached such a condition, if I walk up and down, my standing, my sitting, my lying down is to me Aryan. 
That is what I mean when I speak of the Aryan high, broad couch which I can get here and now as I please without toil and trouble. And the Brahmin said, Wonderful Master Gotama, marvelous Master Gotama, who else but the worthy Gotama could do so? Excellent Master Gotama, excellent it is Master Gotama. This as one raises what is overthrown or holds up a light in the darkness. Even so, in diverse ways has Dhamma been set forth by the worthy Gotama. We here do go for refuge to the worthy Gotama, to Dhamma and to the order of monks. May the worthy Gotama accept us as a lay follower from this day forth as while life lasts who have so taken refuge. So that's the end of the sutta. So here you can see uh, that uh, uh, the holy life, uh, uh, these are some of the fruits of the holy life, uh, that there is uh, deep happiness uh, and bliss uh, that can be got from the holy life uh, if a person practices. Uh. If there were not such this happiness, uh, who would want to practice the holy life? Uh? Because when we practice the holy life, there are material discomforts, uh, uh, there's some suffering in the physical sense, but because there is uh, happiness uh, in the spiritual sense, uh, that it compensates for the uh, physical suffering that a monk undergoes. Uh, and in fact, this uh, spiritual happiness that a monk gets, uh, or a person who practices the holy path gets, uh, is is uh, is uh, something that lasts, not like the worldly things uh, that are so uh, short-lived. And in the end of the sutta here again, uh, you see that that person takes refuge with the Buddha, Dhamma and the Bhikkhu Sangha. Now the next sutta is 3.7.64. Thus have I heard. In fact, most of all the suttas have this, thus have I heard, but sometimes it's missed out. Uh, it's not written. On a certain occasion, the Exalted One was staying near Rajagaha on the Vulture's Peak Hill. Now at that time, Sarabha, <clears throat> so-called the Wanderer, who had not long since deserted this Dhamma Vinaya, was thus speaking in the company at Rajagaha. And he said, I understand the Dhamma of the recluses who are Sakyan's sons. It is because I understand it that I have deserted that Dhamma Vinaya. I'll stop here a while to comment. Eh? What is this Dhamma Vinaya? You find in the suttas eh, that the Buddha's teachings, eh, the Buddha calls eh, Dhamma Vinaya. The Buddha never called his teachings eh, Tripitaka or Tipitaka. He always in the sutta he calls it Dhamma Vinaya. And Dhamma is defined eh, in the Anguttara Nikaya as the suttas. I think in the uh, chapter of the fours. Eh, or Book of the Fours, eh, the Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha says, uh, Dhamma is suttas. Eh? And Vinaya are the, is the disciplinary code eh, for monks and nuns. Eh? So in, in this case, eh, there is this monk called Sraba. He had been a monk before under the Buddha, but he disrobed and left the, the, uh, left the community of uh, Buddhist monks uh, and he joined the external sect ascetics. So this shows uh, that even during the Buddha's time, uh, even when the Buddha was alive, uh, there were certain people uh, who could not follow the Buddha's teachings. Even the Buddha was unable to teach such people. That's why in the suttas the Buddha said, I only teach tameable men because there are some men who are not tameable, who won't allow themselves to be tamed. So um, even those kind of persons, eh, the Buddha cannot change.
So we have to be uh, careful that uh, the Buddha cannot uh, uh, liberate all beings, you know, only those that are ready to be tamed, the Buddha can help. Then to continue, then a number of monks, having robed themselves, taking bowl and outer robe, entered Rajagaha to beg. And those monks heard Saraba the wanderer speaking in the company at Rajagaha these words. So when they had done their begging rounds and had returned and eaten their meal, they went to the exalted one, and on coming to him saluted him, paid respect to him, and sat down at one side. So seated they said this to the exalted one, Lord, Saraba the wanderer has not long since deserted this Dhamma Vinaya. At Rajagaha he is speaking thus to, to the company. I understand the Dhamma of the recluses who are Sakin sons. It is because I understand it that I have deserted that Dhamma Vinaya. Lord, it would be well if the exalted one were to go to Snake River Bank, to the wondrous park, where Saraba the wanderer is out of compassion for him. And the Exalted One consented by silence. So the Exalted One, rising up from his solitary meditation in the evening, went to Snake River Bank to visit Saraba the Wanderer in the Wanderer's Park. On reaching him, uh, on reaching there, he sat down on a seat made ready. Having done so, the Exalted One said this to Saraba the Wanderer. Is it true, I hear, Saraba, that you say, I understand the Dhamma of the recluses who are Sakin sons. It is because I understand it that I have deserted that Dhamma Vinaya. At these words, Saraba the Wanderer was silent. Then a second time the Exalted One spoke to Saraba the Wanderer. Speak, Saraba, how is it that you have understood the Dhamma of the recluses who are Sakin sons? If your knowledge is incomplete, I will complete it for you. If it is complete, I shall receive it gladly. And a second time, Saraba the Wanderer was silent. Then for a third time, the Exalted One spoke to Saraba the Wanderer, saying, Saraba, it is by me that the Dhamma of the Sakin sons who are recluses have been revealed. Speak, Saraba, how is it that you have understood the Dhamma of the recluses who are Sakin sons? If your knowledge is incomplete, I will complete it for you. If it is complete, I shall receive it gladly. And a third time, Saraba the Wanderer was silent. Thereupon the wanderers of Rajagaha said this to the Saraba the wanderer, Friend, whatever you may have to ask Gautama the recluse, he gives you the opportunity to do so. Speak, Reverend Saraba. If your knowledge is incomplete, Gautama the Samana, Samana Gautama will complete it for you. If it is complete, he will receive it gladly. At these words, Saraba the wanderer remained silent, confused, hanging his head, looking downwards, a disappointed man, unable to make reply. So the exalted one, seeing him in this condition, said to those wanderers, Wanderers, if anyone should say to me, you have not perfect knowledge of these things, though you claim to be fully enlightened, I should closely examine him, question him and talk with him. He thus closely examined, questioned and talked with would surely and inevitably be reduced to one of three conditions. Either he would shelve the question by another and direct the talk to an alien subject, or he would display anger, malice and sulkiness, or he would sit silent, confused, hanging his head, looking downwards, a disappointed man, 
unable to make reply, just as now Saraba the wanderer. Wanderers, if anyone were to say to me, the Dhamma preached by you for the purpose of utterly destroying Dukkha does not lead those who act accordingly to such a goal, I should do likewise, and he would be reduced to the same condition as Saraba the wanderer. Then the exalted one, having thrice uttered his lion's roar in the wondrous park on the bank of Snake River, departed through the air. Now not long after the, de the departure of the exalted one, those wanderers assailed Saraba the wanderer on all sides with a torrent of abuse, and poking fun at him said, Friend Saraba, even as a decrepit jackal in the great forest, thinking to utter a lion's roar, can only let out just a jackal's scream. So you, friend Saraba, thinking to utter the lion's roar, which none but Gotama the recluse can utter, you give just such a jackal's scream. Friend Saraba, just as a poor little hen thinks to crow like a cock, and after all lets out, lets out just a poor little hen's cackle, so you, thinking to utter the cock crow that none but Gotama the recluse can, can utter, let out just a poor little hen's cackle. Friend Saraba, just as a young bull calf, when the cow pen is empty, thinks he bellows deeply like an old bull. So to you too, friend Saraba, think to utter the deep bellow that none but Gotama the recluse can utter. Thus did those wanderers assail Saraba the wanderer with a torrent of abuse poking fun at him. Uh, this is the end of the sutta. And this is an uh, interesting sutta because it shows the Buddha's uh, character. He found that uh, his uh, sasana, his religion, was uh, uh, spoken bad of uh, by this Saraba. So he went to defend it. And he sort of tore this Saraba apart. And... Uh, also, it's interesting, after uh, speaking to Saraba, he departed by flying off. You know? It's one of the rare occasions you know, when the Buddha showed his psychic power. <laughs>